Well, hello everybody. This is Hal. And this is Melanie. And we want to welcome you to another episode of Making Typical Family Life Practical. We're going to be talking about really practical stuff today. We're going to be mm-hmm. talking about parenting, parenting in general. Yeah. Which we're all getting a lot of opportunity to do since we're all at home with our kids 24-7 right now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking to our friend Israel Wayne. Who- now see, it's really important that you get advice from people who have some experience. And see, True. Israel has a charming wife, Brooke, and they have a million children, and so they know... They do not have a million children. They've got double digits. That's not a million. No, but ten. Ten is a lot of kids, and that's good. That is good when you're yeah. looking at a parenting author, because they've had a chance to test their theory. Somebody said, I remember reading years ago, someone said, once when I didn't, didn't have children, I had six different theories how to raise them, and I now have six children and no more theories. And so... I think that's an appropriate place to start, don't you think? Yeah. But But. Israel is also our friend because he's a fellow homeschool speaker. We see him at conferences all over the nation. We speak at the same conferences. We seldom get to hear each other speak because we're usually speaking in one room and he's speaking in another. But Mm -hmm. we've shared many meals and conversations. And Israel, welcome to our show. We are so glad to have you here. Oh, Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. Um, All right. So Israel is, um, as authors are, being productive and has got <clears throat> excuse me a new book out on parenting this is called raising them up is published by newly press correct there we go yes. and raising if you're looking on youtube you're seeing a nice image of it but uh raising them up subtitle parenting for christians and uh, i have read his book and i've got to say there's uh, much to respect in this book and it's uh i think there's a lot to be gained from it so i appreciate the opportunity to talk with israel and uh I don't know where you want to start. Maybe some introduction. Yeah. I mean, so tell us a little bit about your family, yeah. Israel, and um, your ministry, the kind of things that you write about and talk about. Mm-hmm. So my wife, Brooke, and I have been married for 21 years. We are both homeschooled graduates. We both grew up in the pioneer days of homeschooling. Uh, my mom was publisher of a national homeschooling magazine that she started in 1988. So my experience growing up was kind of diverse uh, in that um, I I had a a couple of parallel experiences that sort of shaped my perspective on family life. Um, The the first one was a kind of tragic one, and that was that my parents divorced when I was six. Um, And then my mom remarried a guy who was not a Christian, and from the age of six to the age of 15... I lived with a guy who was uh, very physically abusive. Mm-hmm. And so I had uh, kind of a difficult childhood in that respect. I would see my dad um, from the time that my parents divorced. I'd see my dad like one weekend a month until I was 15 and then didn't see my dad again for like 23 years. Mm. So, you know, you think of the way that that shapes your view of family, the way that it shapes your understanding of marriage and how you how a family's supposed to structure i i had you know for because of circumstances kind of uh, a very scant relationship with my own father and then this horrible relationship with this abusive stepfather and uh and so when i came towards um my later teen years you know thinking about the possibility of getting married i kind of realized that i'm going to have to draw from something um, different than my experience. I think most people tend to parent very much based on culture and experience. What, what do other people that I know do 
and how was I raised? And I just felt that that, that wasn't going to, to work for me. But there's another dynamic in all of that that is um, very contradictory, but, but also a reality. And that is that when I was 12, my mom got saved. And that brought this whole new dynamic into our family. She had always home educated us. But um, when I was 12 and she became a Christian, she said, you know, I have a feeling that we're probably going to be on our own uh, in the near future. And I believe the Lord is prompting me to start this magazine for homeschoolers. Uh, homeschooling in 1988 was still a pretty fledgling uh, movement. And God really blessed her magazine and, and blessed the publishing business that she started uh, as a result of that. And she was uh, instrumental in launching the careers and kind of finding and discovering a lot of the people that were the voices of homeschooling in the 80s and the 90s. Um, you know, some of the, the first people or the first place, I should say, that a lot of people were ever published in the homeschooling movement, people like Sam Blumenfeld. John Taylor Gatto, Rick Boyer, you know, uh, just on and on, David Quine, on and on and on. Like a lot of those people were first introduced nationally um, through her magazine. And so, uh, in fact, James Dobson was on the cover of, of her magazine back in 88, uh, kind of, you know, per personally uh, making a statement, endorsing homeschooling. So, her publication was very influential and the people that she had writing for the magazine, Jonathan Lindvall, and I mean, on and on. And of course, people who are listening to the podcast now are going, I don't know who any of those people are. They were all extremely significant in the homeschooling movement in the uh, 90s in particular. And uh, but but at any rate, I got had a chance to get to grow up with a lot of those people, and I knew them personally, Raymond and Dorothy Moore, and so many others that I, I mean, we were friends with these people, and I was in their home, and Chris Clicka, and on and on and on. So many of these people, and so um, coming out of this highly dysfunctional personal family background, but then moving into a family ministry, if you will, where you know she's publishing this magazine on homeschooling and family life. Um, she wisely recognized that we would, that my older sister Sony and I would do well to ground ourselves with uh, biblical theology of the family and education, all that. So one way she she did that is she would pay us to proofread all the articles in the magazine. And you know, over twenty years, I read hundreds and hundreds of articles. Uh, talking about a biblical view of education and family. And we went to seminars. My mom spoke at conferences around the country. Uh, that was how I got my start. I was a roadie for her and, and ran the book table for her. And then uh, when I graduated from, when I graduated from homeschooling, I actually graduated from homeschooling in 1991. And there weren't too many of us back in the day that had been homeschooled and lived to tell about it. And so they started asking me if I would do teen tracks or teen panels or things like that, which I did. And then by, by 1995, I was um, headlining conferences as a keynote speaker. And so and I, was, I was only like 19 years old at that time. So, so all of that background to say that uh, as I started approaching my, my adult years, I realized I really need to dig deep and understand the biblical theology of, of all of life, but particularly of the family and marriage and parenting, because 
I'm going to have to draw on something other than just what I had modeled in my own family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did that. And I was the weird kid who would go to parenting seminars and sit and take notes. And I would go to marriage seminars by myself as an older teenager. And people would be like, why are you here? And who are you with? And just like, <laughs> I just came because I want to learn. And so when I got married, I was 23. My wife, Brooke, was 20. And we started our marriage with kind of a clean slate. You know, we didn't bring, I didn't bring the baggage with me. I had the opportunity to start out with, on a, on a good foot with developing the kind of relationship with my wife that my parents never had learning how to be the father that my father wasn't able to be and that my stepfather wasn't and we now have 10 children our oldest is 20 and our youngest is 16 months we have five boys and five girls and i think it's really interesting and fascinating and ironic in a way that god has given us this ministry called family renewal and uh, a lot of people don't. And so this may even be some of the story. I don't know if you've heard, but this may be surprising to a lot of people because some people don't know much about my backstory. Um, but I really believe in the capacity of God to reach families that are broken and families that don't feel like there's hope for them and that feel like, well, yeah, we're not that poster family for homeschooling or, or the Christian family. I believe that God's grace is big enough that God can reach even you. And, and I, I think my background leads me to have faith for those families. And that's part of why I do what I do. And it's why I've written Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. Well, that was one of the things I was telling Melanie uh, that really impressed me about the book. And actually, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that that was the, uh, the closing chapter in the book where you speak about your experience, this background story that I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear, mm-hmm. you know, that somebody coming from what they would think of as a very conservative biblical family oriented yes. type ministry to say, yes. you know what, I've, I've seen the whole range mm-hmm. and I can tell you what works and what doesn't in the, in that whole spectrum. But you come down very solidly at the end and say, and the functioning principle is God's grace. It's not, I mean, it's great to have the dad leading devotions at home. It's great to have the believing mother. It's all those things are good and you ought to strive for them. But you know what? Ultimately it comes down to the grace of God almighty. And that is such an important thing to emphasize. Well, yeah, we've seen that in our own family, you know, both house mother and my mother were raised by alcoholics Mm -hmm. in abusive situations. And they purposed when they formed their families that they were going to end that they were going to break that chain and we were raised in pretty healthy families because our mothers saw god's grace and Mm -hmm. and were able to express god's grace in our families and so yes god and that's that's such a crucial message that god redeems that's right that he takes the the awful and he washes it in his blood you know that's right and the scripture gives us uh, almost a prescription for how to attract grace to our life. Uh, that sounds like a really odd way to put it, but the scripture tells us very definitively that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yeah. And one of the things that I recognize in my life is the need for God's grace. And you think, well, how, how can you get grace to your life? Like, you know, can you, can you do something? Well, I think in a way, 
uh, I, while it's unmerited favor, I think the scripture talks about how God dwells in a high and a lofty place, but also with those who are brokenhearted, with those who are contrite in spirit. There's mm -hmm. something about a humble heart that attracts the grace of God like a magnet. He finds it irresistible, and he moves towards that person who doesn't think that they are capable within themselves. He moves toward that person who sees that they have great need. And so I think for us as parents, there's, there's a need for us to, to walk in humility, to walk in poverty of spirit and realize that apart from Christ, we are inadequate for this. You know, people feel like, oh, I'm not capable of this. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm in over my head. This is too difficult for me. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. And so yeah. I think that's where um, when we realize our great need and we walk in that humility, that's when God's grace is the strongest in our life. And so I think even picking up a book on parenting can be an act of humility because oftentimes we feel like I've got this. I, you know, I, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I've got this figured out. People can be resistant to new information. And so even having the humility to say, well, maybe there's something I can learn here. I think God will bless just that posture of humility of saying there's still more that I can learn. I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I don't have it all figured out. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really important thing to bring up because, you know, I think the person who, as you say, thinks they've got it all together, the person who is proud uh, and self-sufficient doesn't receive God's grace because he doesn't want God's grace. He's not looking for God's grace. He's not receptive to God's grace. And so, you know, have a few more children and we'll get home. Well, you know, but I, but I think, I think, you know, the, <laughs> the gospel's that way. I mean, nobody says, man, my life is great and I know everything is perfect and therefore I'm going to apply for, for God's forgiveness. Why? Yeah. Because it's when you realize, hey, I am inadequate, I am broken, mm -hmm. I, I am hurting and I'm on a bad pathway. Somebody's got to save me because I, I know right. now that I can't save myself. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things the experience of being a parent can do for you. I think that really does when you get stretched beyond your own self-sufficiency. Yes. That makes you say, God, I've got to have help. Yes. Send me That's help. Right. Show me in your word. Show me a good counselor. Show me the what I need because it's not here. Well, I think for many people, the first time they really, truly love somebody more than they love themselves is when they get married and have children. And you look at that child and you don't want to mess them up. And you don't know what to do, especially as they get older, you know, and they hit that emotional, hormonal preteens. They go crazy and you think, I'm losing it. What am I going to do? And it needs to drive us to our knees. I think God intends for it to drive us to our knees to say, Father, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. And when we do that, he says, if you seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Right. That's right. So, yeah. My, my wife and I just had a marriage huddle the other day related to one of our children. And as long as we've been doing this parenting thing, you know, and I've written books on parenting and my wife and I teach on the topic, you, you would think we would know how to do everything related to parenting. Well, but, we wouldn't think that because we're also parenting authors. That's right. But we had this situation with one of our children and we had this marriage huddle and we're like, we don't know what to do here. Like nothing is getting through. And I, I think so for the, the parent who feels like they're in that situation where they're struggling, they don't know 
how to handle situations with your children. I guess I want to tell you two things. You do learn more and you grow with wisdom as you mature and you, and you go farther down the path. Mm-hmm. But you also will never reach a day where God will not throw something new in your path that you haven't experienced before that makes you just run back to him and say, okay, I'm in over my head again, and I don't know how to deal with this. And God wants that. I really believe that. He wants the, He creates and, and allows and, and generates these scenarios for our sanctification, just that he doesn't want our parenting experience to be perfect or our marriage experience to be perfect because uh, then we would not recognize our deep need for him. Yeah. You know, one thing that has really landed on me as I've gone on in years, I won't say maturity, but I'll say in years anyway, it is realizing that you never achieve it. Yeah. You know, you remember when you were in te- when you were high school, you think, man, if I could just be 18, then I would be cool like those 18 year olds I know. And you got there and you say, so where is it? I'm not, I'm not cool yet. And you know what? I just realized you think, well, I've had eight kids and I've seen them graduate and go on with life. And you think maybe I've achieved something, but you realize, oh gosh, now I got to figure out how to counsel this one through college. Now I got to figure out how to walk this one through relationships. Now I got, how would I advise this child who's just married and they're dealing with an issue or oh, new parenthood? Do you remember new parenthood? Yeah. And just realize the time they call you and they say. Mom, can can you give me help with my toddler? And you're like, wow, here we are again. <laughs> and you know, and I just I just realized I, I've got a few people that are about five years ahead of me on the road, and I'm realizing more and more every year that I need to go back to those mentors and say, how did you deal with this with your kids? Because I'm seeing this coming up on the windscreen now, and I need yeah. to figure out what I'm doing. So, but I want to say too that God's grace is sufficient. Yeah, and that. Right. He does meet us there, that he puts us in situations where we have to get on our knees and have to seek him. But he also stands in the gap and he takes our pitiful, pathetic efforts and he turns it to glory. And he Mm -hmm. does amazing things with it. We've seen so much grace in our family life and our kids' lives, way more than we could ever deserve. We ever deserved any of it, which we don't. I've got something that I wanted to open up with Israel here. Okay. Uh, one of the things early in the book you mentioned, and we don't use this term much in our own thinking, but I think it parallels some of the things that we talk about a lot. You talk about the issue of influence in your child's life, not just as a matter of I have a positional authority and so of course I have but rather gaining a lasting influence in your child's thinking in their hearts. You tell me what you what you think about that. Right. Well, when our child is young, say two years old, well, let's back up to when they're first born. When they're first born, that child can't make any decisions for themselves. They lay there in their crib and they're helpless. They can't roll over. They can't change their clothes. They can't change their diaper. They can't feed themselves. They are completely reliant on you. So as a parent, you have a lot of control in that scenario because that child can't do anything without you intervening. And so as time goes on, uh, you you initially start parenting with 100% control when they're born, but you have to learn how to transition from parenting with control to parenting with influence. Mm -hmm. So by the time your child is 20, uh, you want to be parenting with 0% control and 100% influence. Now, a mistake that I see some parents make is they try to parent the two-year-old with 100% influence. 
and their 16 year old with 100% control. And for that, that work. we see the same thing. We see the same thing. We see the way that it creates either rebellion or it cripples them. You know, one it or the does. other. It does. And, and when you are trying to negotiate with your two year old, uh, and you're, you know, asking them for their advice on life decisions, you know, what do you think we should do today or whatever? Uh, that's a bad approach. It's a terrible approach to parenting. Somebody said, you know, I really want to homeschool, but my second grader just doesn't want to. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, a, a seven or eight year old is not capable of making life decisions, folks. Well, that's also, right. But also, I gave them parents. But ultimately, you know, we have people come up to us at conference saying, well, I've got a real problem with my 24-year-old. How do I make him do what he's supposed to do? Exactly. Um, what? Yeah, exactly. So so that approach backfires. So here's here's what I've done in, in my own thinking. Uh, in my thinking, I, I look at it as if, if you want to have influence in somebody's life, you have to have access to them. Like if someone's listening to this podcast and they've never heard of me before, I probably haven't been a big influence in their life. I have to have access to them for me to be able to influence them in some way. And, and for me to have a lot of influence in their life, I have to have access, at which equals time. So the biggest force in influence is time more than any other component. That's the most important one. So I sometimes say it's a little sim overly simplistic, but whoever spends the most time with your child wins. That is overly simplistic, but but it's uh, it's generally true. It's a truism. The second factor, though, that I think is almost equally important is affirmation and encouragement, because you can spend all day every day with your child and still not really have their heart. You can spend all day every day with them and not really have influence. Influence is purchased with time and encouragement and affirmation and investment to where this child grows up believing that mom and dad have my best interests at heart. They are for me, not mom and dad have their best interests at heart and they make decisions based on what's best for them. They really have to believe that the decisions that you make for them and that you direct them into are for their good and for their best. And if a child can come to believe that, experientially and existentially, they will submit readily to their parents because of trust. And so, so trust is an important component in influence. And so I look at it like there's this, this bank account, if you will, this relational bank um, with my, my young people. And I can make deposits of influence into that account, knowing that someday in the future, I'm going to need to make withdrawals from the account. So when I spend time with them, and not just time, although you know, just qu quantity time is essential to influence, yeah. but when I spend quality time with them and I invest in them in a way that's meaningful for them, understanding their personality types and love languages and all that kind of stuff, then I'm gaining influence dollars. And what happens is when your child's 16, 18, there have been times that my oldest is 20. There have been times where I have had to take a withdrawal from that account yeah. and to say, you know what? I'm not telling you what to do, but as your father, I think that decision is unwise. And I'm going to ask you that you wouldn't make that decision. I'm, I'm not making you. Obviously, you can. it's your decision to make. You can do what you want to do. 
but I'm going to ask you if you would not make that decision. And with my you know, son, who's now 18 or 20, I'm sorry, um, I, I've had to do that a couple of times. And he has gone against what might have been his natural inclination to align with what I've asked him to do, not because I had force or control on my side, but because we have a good relationship that's been built over time. We, I have influence in his life. But I have to be careful with that. And I'll just I'll share one kind of funny story. Um, my wife was going through the laundry one day and she pulled out of the dryer this shirt that I don't know how to describe it. The word flamboyant comes to mind. It was very colorful, uh, lots of yellows and reds and greens and purples and oranges. And I mean, it just it was I'll be honest, it was hideous. Um <laughs> And, and she said, what in the world is this? I mean, we'd never seen it before. She's like, whose is this? And just by size, I said, well, it's not mine. It has to be our son's. And uh, she's like, did you buy that for him? I said, of course not. She said, do you think he bought that? And I said, yeah. She said, well, you're not going to let him wear it, are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to let him wear it. He's probably 18 at the time. Like, what do you mean? I'm not going to let him wear the shirt. She's like... She's like, well, you don't like that shirt, do you? I said, heavens, no. She's like, well, you're not going to let him be seen out in public. Where I said, listen, first of all, this is a a self-resolving problem. Uh, you know, he's homeschooled, right? He never went to public school and was beat up on the playground for wearing a shirt like that. Okay, so so, so he doesn't know <laughs> that this is a social faux pas in, in a massive way. But but I said, the thing is, he will. He'll figure it out because people will address it and it will solve itself. I don't have to say anything about it. But but I said, you know, the thing is, I I only have so many influence dollars and I'm not going to spend them on a shirt because exactly. there may be something that comes up that's really important. And I need to I need to, to play that card. You know, I need to spend that influence on something really important. And so, no, I don't plan to mention this whatsoever. Will I like it? No. Will I cringe? Yes. But no, I'm not bringing that up. And, and so, I, you know, maybe a silly illustration, but I think that choose your battles thing is real important. It's a really good illustration. It's a really good illustration because as our kids become adults, we found that we have a lot more influence with our adult kids when we don't try to micromanage their lives when we make it clear that we see them as adults, because when we give them the freedom to disagree with us on things like shirts, mm -hmm. then they don't feel the necessity to take a stand on the things that are important. And that wasn't a moral issue. Yeah, it's not a moral issue. Yeah, there you go. And, and that's, I, I remember one of the first parenting books I read ages ago, um, the, the, the father was a pastor and his, his son started wanting to wear longer hair and he finally, he wrestled over it in his mind for a while. And he finally told him, son, I understand. Every generation's got their styles. You want to express your individuality, all that. I'll just tell you, if that's all that this is about, I'll just be patient with it. I just want you to know, if this is a sign of rebellion, I'll wrestle you to the floor and cut your hair myself. But if it's just a matter of, I want to try a different style, I'll put up with it. And they said, oh, thanks, dad. And that, and that solved it. But, you know, even as they move into adults, even if it's a sign of rebellion, with a 23-year-old, you say, you know, son, I really hate your hairstyle, but you let it go because they, they've got, you've got, you've got to respect their adulthood. 
And when you do, they're a whole lot more amenable to influence. Our kids, our adult kids call us for advice all the time. And I think it's because we respect them as adults and they don't have to stand up against us, you know, right. to be what I would call them to be. And I think sometimes there's just that natural inclination on the part of teenagers to see if they can get a rise out of their parents. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we have to be careful that we don't play into that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we are about out of time and this has been so good. Yes. We need to do this again. I think we should. But Yeah. So in- tell, tell people where to find you. Right. And where to find this book. Well, the book can be ordered on our website, which is familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org. It's available everywhere that Christian books are sold, but we would encourage you to order it directly from us because I'll personally sign it. And uh, we would love, and that supports our ministry the best. If you order it on Amazon, I make like 65 cents. So it's, it's not yeah, a great don't understand that. They don't understand it. When you order it from the author, they can make like 10 or 15 times as much as they do. Right. When you right. order it. So it helps my family when you order it directly from familyrenewal.org. You can also connect with us on social media. Just look up Israel Wayne or Family Renewal. We're on all the social media platforms. And we have our own podcast, which is just called Family Renewal. It's on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Uh And uh, we um, have just developed a YouTube channel for that podcast as well. So if you go to YouTube and look up Family Renewal Podcast, you can uh, look that up. And recent guest that we had uh, on our podcast was Hal and Melanie Young. And so uh, great, different topics and different content. So um, it'd be a great way for you to pop over on the YouTube channel or go to our, uh, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, just listen to our podcast and you can hear an interview that we did with them as well. Awesome. Great. Well, I hope we will see you at yeah. some conferences this year. Mm-hmm. We'd love to. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So, look, we want to say to everybody, we do appreciate you spending the time to join us. We're trying to take biblical principles into the 21st century family. And so, until next time, I'm Hal. And I'm Melanie. Thanks for joining us. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to Making Biblical Family Life Practical with Hal and Melanie Young. If you found this program interesting, challenging, and encouraging, why not join us on the web at halandmelanie.com. That's H-A-L-A-N-D. M-E-L-A-N-I-E dot com or follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Alan Melanie or Facebook.com slash Raising Real Men. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join us next week when we'll be back to talk about making biblical family life practical. Until then, thank you and God bless you for listening.